ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Golf today, two days away from the Solheim Cup in Spain. We have a team on the ground ready to enlighten you with every storyline from Team Europe and Team USA. And Padraig Harrington knows what cup pressure is like as a player and captain. He'll join us in moments to talk about the nitty-gritty details that make the Ryder Cup so tense and so special. And another major champ is knocking on our door, so we'll answer it for rookie Wyndham Clark. Are rookie jitters real or imagined? Does he want another piece of Rory McIlroy after beating him in L.A.? Oh, we're causing trouble on golf today. Golf today. Just a couple days away from these stands being full for the start of the 18th Solheim Cup at Finca Cortesine in the Andalusia region of Spain, Europe. Two-time defending champ having beaten the United States in 2019 at Glen Eagles and 2021 at Inverness in Ohio. Europe has never won three straight Solheim Cups. This is Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week magazine. A few weeks ago, Suzanne Pedersen, European captain, said this is the best European team ever. I thought it was heresy. I looked a little closer at the details. Boutier, Hall, Hall, Siganda, Maguire, I think she might be right. And it's refreshing honesty as well from Suzanne Pedersen because we've heard generations of European captains, whether it's Solheim Cup or Ryder Cup, try to downplay mm. things and play the underdog role. Let the Americans feel all of the pressure that they've got the greatest team assembled coming in there. And Suzanne Pedersen's not taking that role. She's saying, I've got a really good team. She's got to back it up mm. now, but it's refreshing honesty to hear a European captain back away from the underdog role and say, you know what, we've won the last two. We're, we're here, we're the better team. One thing we know, Suzanne Pedersen has never been shy. Let's take a closer look at Stacey Lewis's team trying to break this recent string of European dominance. And I tell you what, Stacey's got a fantastic team in her own right. There are five Solheim Cup rookies, Allison Corpu, Cheyenne Knight, Andrea Lee, Lilia Vu, and one of the game's rising stars in Rose Zhang. So maybe not your average rookies, Considering their resumes, Knight, Ali Ewing, and Angel Yin were selected by Lewis as captain's picks. And then the European squad, Suzanne's team, called it the best ever. Celine Boutier had a wonderful summer winning back-to-back -back events, including her first major. There are five players from Sweden, including Anna Nordquist, who will make her eighth start. She has won 14 points. Gemma Dryborough, Caroline Hedvall, Emily Christine Peterson, and Madison Sackstrom for her captains picks should be a great week in Spain let's welcome in Cara Banks and Paige McKenzie from Finca Cortesine. 
Damon, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're proud to be here live and on site, kicking off a huge couple of weeks of team golf. We'll be with you all week long. And of course, live coverage begins here on Friday. But Paige and myself both arrived on property today. First report is it's hot, about 85 <laughs> degrees. It's going to remain that way throughout the week. In fact, the temperature really for the Solheim Cup this week and the Ryder Cup next week are both looking to be very warm temperatures here in Europe in September. But the golf course, Paige, is attracting a lot of attention. You walked it today. What are your first impressions of Fika? walked it and climbed it. I was saying you're going to hear a lot about that from the players this week is because it is on a hillside. It's gorgeous vistas here uh, in Andalusia area of Spain. But because of that, it's also built on the side of a hill. You're going to see a lot of players with side hill lies, with downhill lies, uphill elevation changes. All of that's going to factor in not just in shot making, but also in roster management. And I think that's the biggest thing as we lead into this event is to consider that the teams and the depth of each team is going to be significantly important. I do not see players playing five matches here, not in this heat, not with this hills. Uh, it's going to take a lot of energy to get around this golf course. You make a great point because we do see a lot of 36 whole days, of course. Uh it plus it is match play so you can of course half matches for 18 holes so you may not go a full 18 holes we'll see how that plays out when we come to Friday given the heat yeah. and the hills that you just alluded to this golf course I'm guessing is fairly firm how that may affect the ball rolling out and where it ultimately lies comes and, to rest and I think that's a great point is because as it's going to continue to get crispy it's going to you're going to lose the opportunity to control the golf ball in this golf course uh, it could roll down through these fairways as we've seen the, the hillsides uh, move what I saw today is I already saw uh, the grounds crew out there hand watering, which I think is significant considering it's a Wednesday. We're already seeing hand watering throughout this golf course, not just on the greens, but throughout the course. It's something to pay attention to and a challenge that these players may also face this weekend. Okay, well, we've got plenty more to dive into, of course, during the couple of hours of today's uh, programming. But first, let's uh, check in with another member of our team who's on site here in Andalusia because there has already been a bit of drama on the American side so far this week. And our Amy Rogers, who joins us now, spoke to their captain earlier today. Well, for days on social media, Danielle Kang was documenting her, her struggles just trying to get her golf bag here to Spain. She was asking anybody on social media for their help. And in speaking with her mother, Grace Lee, I learned that her golf club golf clubs actually never made it out of Las Vegas and here to Spain. Well, they finally did arrive here several days after Kang arrived. They came um, on a flight that landed around 7 p.m. just last night. U.S. Captain Stacy Lewis sending her father Dale to pick up that uh, set of golf clubs for Danielle Kang. And then just two hours later, a backup set that had also been built for Danielle Kang also arrived here on set um, on site. So Kang went from no clubs to two clubs, but she was finally able to put her own equipment into practice during a practice round here on site uh, earlier today. Well, Lewis not only played a critical role in helping Kang get her clubs back here on site, but it's one of the many hats that she has worn, uh, not just this week, but over the last 18 months in preparing to lead this U.S. side for the very first time. And I had a chance to catch up with the captain earlier today and to ask her how well prepared she feels like she is now that this big week is finally here. It's been good. You know, it's um, it's like having 12 more kids, um, just kind of putting out little fires along the way and finding boxes that were supposed to be shipped, finding golf clubs. So, um, so it's been busy, but a good busy. And um, but players seem calm and we've had a good plan so um, everything's been good so far. Speaking of planning when I spoke to you a few weeks ago you said you wanted to work on those pairings especially for that first day for those Friday matches. Where are you now in that process and getting those ironed out? 
Friday morning's been done for a while now, so it's just making sure the players are comfortable with it, figuring out golf balls, things like that. So we're we're pretty much set for Friday morning. We've been there for a while, and um, you know, just excited to see if they work. You know, that's been the biggest challenge is with these five new rookies. You know, we really don't have a lot of pairings that have transferred over from from past Solheim Cups. So using their experience from Curtis Cups and college golf, or Palmer Cups, where they played together, and you know, just really relying on them some too. You've said coming into these matches, you just want this to be a fun experience for Team USA. What's been the most enjoyable part of the week so far? You know, just seeing the players hang out and interact together. You know, um, you know, seeing Danielle kind of step up for Lexi yesterday in the press conference. You know, that that's that's. I just I wanted them to be able to take care of each other, and that's that's been the best part is just how calm they've been, how light and fun the team room has been. Um, and even, you know, the way Danielle's handled her clubs being missing this whole, these last two days, you know, I think it sets an example for the rest of the players and, um, you know, so we've been in a good spot. Well, we know, and this is a busy week for you. We appreciate you stopping by and sharing a little bit of insights and some time with us. Best of luck this week. Awesome. Thank you. Lewis told me that she doesn't plan to have any single player play all five sessions, but she does want to make sure that each player gets to play their own ball during the foursomes. It's a lot for Lewis to try and figure out, especially since they're not using the pod system this year, something that's been used in the last four Solheim Cups. So a lot more for Lewis to think about with endless options. Damon and Eamon. Thanks, Amy. We'll be back to you throughout the show. And a reminder, here's how you can watch coverage of the Solheim Cup on Golf Channel begins Friday at 2 a.m., Eastern Time, the same time on Saturday, and then Sunday singles at 5 a.m. Eastern. What a time of year. If you love match play, just luxuriate in these couple of weeks. We switch our focus now to the 44th Ryder Cup. Next week, Marco Simone Golf in Country Club outside of Rome, U.S., coming off a win. Big win at Whistling Straits a couple of years ago. We'll try to win on foreign soil for the first time in 30 years. And one man who knows a thing or two about the Ryder Cup. Our buddy Padraig Harrington back at some of his great moments. About 2004 Ryder Cup. It was over, in my opinion, after Friday morning. He took down Tiger and Phil. Talk about a statement pairing on both sides to be sent out. Harrington and Monte, Tiger and Phil. Mm, absolutely. How about 2006? Same score, by the way. 18 and a half, 9 and a half. And it was a loud and wet Ryder Cup that year at the K Club near Dublin, where Padraig Harrington grew up. And there's the Irish contingent who led European team to victory under Ian Woosnam as captain. How about those haircuts with Wesley and Clark? That was, that was the style back in the day. Well, Podrick had a little streaked period in his <laughs> hair as well at one point. In the 43rd Ryder Cup, Whistling Straits, Podrick Harrington was the captain of the European squad that eventually lost to Steve Stricker's American team. He put on the cheese heads trying to curry some favour <laughs> with the Wisconsinites. Uh, it was a good move. I thought it put Europe one up but was not enough to win the cup. No, but he does have a fairly stout Ryder Cup biography. Six times he's appeared on the European team, four of them as a victor, an overall record of 9, 13 and 3. He went 4-1-0 in 2004 at Oakland Hills during that rousing European victory. And of course, the most recent captain of Europe joins us now. Podrick, thanks for your time. You've been where Luke Donald is right now with just a week to go. Where is he in the process? Is the job getting harder or is it getting easier at this stage? Oh, it definitely should be easier at this stage. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of clarity. He, his team is picked. He, he probably has a very good idea. He does have a good idea of this partnership. So uh, anything that happens between now and next week would actually be something new, something out of the ordinary. So I think he, he, he's got to be ready. He is ready for sure. And uh, you know, his goal now 
as it has been most years, just to make sure the team is relaxed and comfortable, that the team is uh, comfortable with themselves, play within themselves, that nobody's going there thinking, you know, that they need anything special, that they're just going there thinking, play their own game, be themselves, and, and that's going to be uh, what the team requires and ultimately what would be good enough. Patrick, he was one of your vice captains, Luke Donald, a couple of years ago. What was he like as a leader? Uh, he's, he's an excellent. He was excellent in the team room. Uh, twice I've been vice captain with Luke. Once I was vice captain, and once he was my vice captain. And he, he's a uh, quiet, but his thoughts are, are very strong. He know, knows his, his stuff, and uh, I was very very comfortable with him uh, becoming captain. Uh, and he's been a strong captain. I've seen what he's been doing behind the scenes. He, he as I said, just because he's quiet. He really has the, the, you know, he is the ear of the players and, and you know, he got to world number one as, as good as he is. You don't get there without being a very, very strong and tough character. And Luke is that. Uh, so he, he, he will be doing and is doing a great job. Patrick, I look at this team, uh, European team on paper, and you see the names like Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, John Rahm. It feels a little bit, to me, like the 1980s. Does it feel that way to you when the Ryder Cup for Europe was at the height of its power? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I, I think our top players are, you know, a match for anybody in the world. They're the star players in the game of golf. Uh, it is interesting. I saw a stat that pretty much were the same world rankings as we were in 2021. Uh, but this team does look strong. It, you know, the players are in form. All the European players are in form. And it, it's very, very hard you know, you can't, you need a full team when you go to the Ryder Cup. You know, you can't rely on players to play five matches. It's really difficult to win your singles if you've played four times. You know, the stress of playing those four, first four matches burn you out for the singles. So you, you've got to rely on a full team, a strong team. Uh, but as you said, you do want the top to gather the vast majority of the points. You know, you need those top players winning at least three points, you know, and if you can get a couple of them getting four points, there's not, not a lot rest for the rest of the team that they have to do. And if those top players don't show up, Podrick, obviously it causes problems. That, that's what happened a couple of years ago. In, in the last few weeks here, we've had Hal Sutton, Lanny Watkins, Nick Faldo on. All of them have been Ryder Cup captains who took the loss, and all of them seem to have some kind of regret. When you look back at Whistling Straits, is there anything that you would do differently from your standpoint? COVID. <laughs> Could I change the year? You know, uh, clearly my team was was very strong in 2020. By the time we got to 2021, they'd gone a year too far. The US had, had peaked in 21. Like, I, I, I'm fascinated with golf, and particularly the Ryder Cup, because at the end of that match, the world wrote off Europe. They basically said Europe will never compete, won't be able to compete with the US for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years. Why play the Ryder Cup again? And now we're two years down the road and we're sitting here going, who's going to win? It, it's unbelievable how quick things change in golf and, and no more so with this Ryder Cup. It's, it's a brilliant event that you can have this. That would, like we're all sitting here. I think Europe is strong, but we're all sitting here thinking, you know, who's going to win this one? And, and, and as I said, two years ago, you know, everybody's saying, why bother turn up? Well, Patrick, you've played so well yourself the last couple of seasons. I understand that Luke Donald actually reached out to you to tell you you would not be a part of this team. Back of your mind, that's got to be a good phone call, just knowing you were considered. That speaks to how well you continue to play. I, I got a very polite phone call off Luke at the end of it. I wasn't expecting it, but it was a polite phone call to say that he did consider me during the year, 
And there was times during the year when I was coming into the, you know, I got myself in contention at the Scottish Open and I knew if I played, I had to push on from there and I had to play well in the Open. Uh, I didn't do it, you know, making the cut finishing down the field is not good enough. So, look, I'm playing nicely. I could do better. The reason I'm laughing there, by the way, Eamon, is I just didn't answer your question, did I? About regret. (laughs) Uh, No, I noticed that, Patrick. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I, 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 you know, when I look back, the players felt stressed that the, the, the qualifying was so late. So definitely I would have probably changed that to not leave, leave. There was a lot of players who were making the team and they felt they had a bit of doubt. So certainly you would change that. I'd probably keep a pick very late. Uh, but outside of that, there's nothing we could have done better during the week. We did everything we could. The, the players turned up and played. It just wasn't their week. Uh, you know, the US got to a great start. They did everything right, the US. Their preparation was brilliant. You know, conditions. Look, there was, there was a tsunami of things that, you know, went in their way. But as we know in golf, we're two years further down the road now and, we're, and, and it's all different. So, uh, you know, there's no great changes. You're just trying to get the players as comfortable and as relaxed as you can, uh, getting them trusting it, you, showing that you trust in them, that they, you know, and let them out there. You don't want the biggest thing in the Ryder Cup over the years, and this this is probably you know why you know why Tiger found the Ryder Cup tough. You're not your own boss that week, and players are used to being controlling everything they do, so they lack. You know what we what we've seen is they. They struggle for what they need to do. So you have to get the information to them as quick as you can. And sometimes you don't have that information. You've got to get the information. This is why the pod systems have worked very well. Players know who they're going to be playing with within reason. This is why, you know, you give them information. And this players struggle when they don't have that. So the, the captain's job is, is very information. Get it out there. Get it there quick. Get it to them first so they're not hearing it from other people. And keep the players comfortable in what they're doing. And hopefully, as I said, you don't stress your biggest players by having to play them too many times. Uh, you know, you want the whole team to turn up. Audrey, you mentioned that narrative that took root after Whistling Straits that Europe was heading to this generational crisis of guys <laughs> aging out. And that was before any of the live stuff happened. We had Nick Faldo on a couple of days ago and Nick referred to essentially the generation of captains that have been, in theory, lost going forward. And he seemed to draw a line that anyone who's currently with Liv should never be a captain in the future, the Westwoods Poulters. Do you think that's actually likely to happen? Uh, you know, I, I certainly think Liv has suited Europe in the team-wise. Uh, you know, the US have lost a few players, or seem to have lost a few players. Like, they're going without DJ. Uh, you know, DJ is probably the one five out of five the last time, the most relaxed player you could ever get at a Ryder Cup. It's unbelievable how good he is in a Ryder Cup environment. There's not a single thing that stresses him, which is, that's the perfect player. So yes, the US have lost a little bit. As regards captains going forward, look, these guys have given so much to Europe, given so much to the Ryder Cup. I honestly do believe that there will be a way back, that there should be a way back. Uh, You know, Lee Westwood, not captain in the Ryder Cup team. Sergio, not captain. Ian Poulter, you know, that would be a shame. And I know there's a lot going on in golf and, and guys have made personal decisions that, you know, that they needed to make and, and, and not in the best interest of the tour or anything like that. But I think with time, with time, it, you know, it will be time. It's not going to happen tomorrow, uh, you know, that these players will come back in. Uh, 
they have to. They, 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 you know, look, Lee Westwood gave an awful lot to the European Tour over 20 years, 25 years. You can't, you can't just throw him out like that. I know it's, it's difficult for people because he has left and he has gone to a competitor. But, you know, the Ryder Cup is such a big deal, such a big event. Uh, again, I, I've often said this, it does come down to whether you consider the European Tour against the PGA Tour or whether you think it's Europe versus the United States. I've got to say, as a player, I played for the European Tour. It was our ability to, to consider ourselves the equal of the PGA Tour. That's what Seve drummed into everybody, that it was our chance to, you know, to prove that the European Tour was every bit as good as the PGA Tour. So there is an element of that, and, and that needs to be tidied up in people's minds. But down the road, I, down the road where you, you, you think it or not, you've got to think there's going to be a pathway back that these guys will captain the team. But I will say, there's plenty of people who can captain the team in Europe who will be good captains. Uh, remember, if you always went for the, uh, the limelight, the big star... Uh, sometimes the big star is not the right one because the big star has already had his career. So, you know, you look at somebody like Paul McGinley, who the Ryder Cup w w was everything to him and how good a captain he was. We have other players like that in Europe who have played a few Ryder Cups or, or you know, like there's no problem if Eddie Molinari stepped into the job and became the captain. There's no problem if, if, if Nicholas Colesart stepped into the job. There's plenty of players who are capable of doing it. They mightn't be household names, but they're well-respected amongst their European peers. Patty, I want to ask you about one of the biggest stars, Rory McIlroy. We had uh, Paul McGinley on a couple of weeks ago who said that Rory's second half of his Ryder Cup career needs to be better than the first half. Rory's batting 500, as it were. It's pretty strong words from Paul. Do you agree that Rory needs to bring a little bit more of his best in the Ryder Cup than he has? I think, I think whenever you're a star, you're, you're, you've got a target on your back. Everybody loves playing the big stars because they feel they've nothing to lose. You showed at the start there, myself and Monty playing Tiger and Phil. What was interesting about that is, is Hal Sutton told the world that Tiger and Phil were going out first. So we got to choose that match. We got to choose it. So we were going out there feeling like we had the upper hand. And oftentimes with Rory, it is, you know, it's going to be highlighted. They have a good idea where they're going to play Rory. And all of a sudden, you have players choosing to want to go up against them. Players who, who, who are going to have their, their A game. They're going to be excited to be out there. So it's tough for Rory. But yes, you know, if Rory turns up and wins, you know, four, four points this time round, you know, that's an awful lot for the team. Uh, you know, if he's playing with, you know, there's a, not a, you know, you only have to, well, you have to get to your 14 and a half points. You know, you get a couple of the big players like John winning four points last time. It, it, it really sets the team up, the momentum in the team. So we would like Rory to win more than 50%, but the reality is, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, lining up to, to, to take him on. And plus, Rory's at that position as well. He has to take the burden of taking a rookie with him at times. You know, he's not... He, you know, there's certain players in the Ryder Cup that only want to play with a big star, only want to play with a player who's on top form. They don't want to take the burden or, or carry the burden of, uh, of carrying a, a young player uh, or a new player in there or a weaker player. Uh, Rory has to do that at times. So, you know, we're not, you're not always given, you're not generally sending Rory out there with the best possible player to play with him. You sometimes you're sending him out there with a, with a, a compromise because that other player is being used elsewhere. So, you know, he, do, he doesn't get the pick at all the times. He's expected to carry a lot when it comes to the Ryder Cup.
Well, Padraig, if we ever had a third co-host, you're our first <laughs> choice. So we always love talking to you and appreciate the time. Enjoy these you next know, couple I, of weeks. I'll have to answer Eamon's questions a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it, pal. Well, from one major winning veteran of team competition to another, Paula Creamer. Coming up, we're going to talk some Solheim Cup with a former U.S. Open champion. That's next. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Been a dominant run for the United States through the history of the Solheim Cup. Now entering its 18th edition, the U.S. has earned 229.5 points all time compared to Europe's 214. And a half, and a lot of those came from Christy Kerr. She holds the American records for matches played, wins, and points. The largest U.S. margin of victory was in the very first one, back in 1990, and the largest come from behind victory was four points back in 2015. And yeah, one of the stars throughout the Solheim Cup, a 10-time LPGA Tour winner, Paula Creamer, formidable force through the years. Member of the team, 2005 was the youngest player to earn a spot. She played as a 19-year-old. She led. Both sides and points earned in 2007, 2 and 1 in 2009, picked up three wins in 2011, altered it in 2017, went on to win three of her four matches. And the Bios just struck seven career appearances, 17 9 and 5 record, went 3 1 and 1 at the Solheim Cup as a rookie in 2005 at Crooked Stick. So great to have Paula Creamer with us, a seven time team member. Paula, why does this event seem to imprint your soul as greatly as it does? Gosh, you know what? My team and I, we have discussed that so many times. Why can't I play like I do um, during the Solheim Cup every week? Um, and honestly, I, I, I don't know how to answer that other than saying it's, it's different. It's a team. You're representing your country. You know, it's not just about you. It's the one week where you're not selfish. You know, you want to, you know, be there for your partners. Want to be there for your team. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It's always brought the best golf out of me. I'm telling you, some of the golf shots and putts I have made during Solheim, I look back and I'm like, I have no idea how I just did that. <laughs> but your first captain back in 2005 was Nancy Lopez, who was on the show yesterday, <laughs> and she told us a funny story of how you were kind of almost frozen by fear on the way to the first tee. Back in 2005, you were partnering with Beth Daniel, who was a, a real veteran at the time. What were the nerves like for you back then? I mean, even just thinking, you just bringing that up, I got goosebumps from it. Um, and that was a long time ago. Yeah. So, you know, everybody was telling me, you're going to be nervous, you're going to be nervous. Obviously, I'm this 19-year-old girl who just thinks she can, you know, do anything she can and wants to. And they're like, you're going to be nervous. I'm like, okay, sure. And I am telling you, they goodness, I didn't have to hit the first shot off of the first tee. I was evens, so it definitely helped, um, you know, with that. But I will say that my first shot, Beth and I talked about it, and we said, I, she said, what numbers do you not like and all this? And I said, 110 yards. I, I'm, I don't like 110. 
And what did I get for my first shot in Solheim? 110 yards. And I sent this thing straight into a TV tower over the green. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> well, some players don't like certain yardages, and every player doesn't like losing their bags. We've been following this Danielle Kang story. I was stunned to hear that there was not a team charter for the United States women as there are for the U.S. men going to the Ryder Cup. How much is that a talking point among those who have, you know, given so much to the red, white, and blue in the Solheim Cup competition? You know, you, it, you kind of hit a home run right there with that. I mean, it is pretty ludicrous how, you know, you, you know a team, you, you have to be able to, you're going there and all this, and you don't fly on a charter. But, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, thank goodness they found uh, her bag, and she now has a backup set just in case. So that's good. Um, it's interesting to also hear that she travel, travels with her putter in a rifle case. Um, that's a new one. I haven't heard that before, but um, it is. It's kind of unfortunate with that, but at least, you know, Stacy and the team and all of the staff and everybody um, got her her clubs. That's just, that is the worst feeling. Any golfer knows that. It is just a horrible feeling when your bags don't show up. Well, Paul, I know you're keeping busy this week and headed up to Washington, D.C., Franklin Hall, Adams Morgan area. Great neighborhood for a watch party, the Solheim Cup, with mm -hmm. Jessica Corda. Uh, what's it entail? You know, we are going to be able to meet with a, you know, a group of people, um, kind of give our insights a little bit about what we have gone through. I mean, I've played on seven, and there's, trust me, there, it's not a dull moment. And there's a lot of a fun times, some stressful times, but we'll just be able to kind of give our insight, talk about it, and obviously bring awareness to next year's Solheim Cup in that area. Um, you know, and I think that'll be really neat to get that excitement for us to come back to the U.S., um, you know, on home soil. So it's just kind of like a pregame to, to next year as well. Paul, I read an amusing proposal from Meg Adkins, who's a great writer on the Fried Egg website this morning, who suggested that Suzanne Pedersen should send out Carlotta Saganda first to get the Spanish crowd riled up and let her pace of play drive all of her opponents crazy behind her. Does that sound like a strategy Suzanne Pedersen would adopt at the Solheim Cup? I wouldn't put it past her, that's for sure. You know, Suzanne, she's um, all about mental uh, games. You know, she's uh, such a competitor. I have played against her in Solheim, singles, double, you know, anything you can imagine. I've done it all. And uh, there's going to be some theories of her lineup for sure. And, um, you know, Stacey, I'm sure, is aware of that. Uh, you know, slow play is obviously an issue for, you know, men and women right now. Um, and there's obviously ways to you know, get put on the clock if you need to. Um, so I think it can work both ways as well. Paula, Lexi Thompson has been a voracious winner throughout her career on the LPGA. She's struggling right now. No top tens this season. Uh, it's been a few years since she's won. If you put your arm around her in a quiet moment, what would you tell her? You know, it's... I'm trying to give myself a pat on the back, too, when you say that. Um... You know, it's it's hard, you know, as you when you come out so young um, and I can vouch for this, there's just nothing in your way. It is just it's an open road of what you're going to accomplish and what you're going to do. And that pressure only comes from yourself. And then you start winning and you start doing these things and then it's an expectation. And then, you know, that mental part of kind of just believing in yourself and trusting yourself and going back to sometimes what worked best when you were younger is, is key. Um, you know, our lives change um, as you get older. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, she's such a good player. Um, it, you know, after this week, I'm, I bet you will see, you know, her come back rising to the top again. You know, she works hard. But um, 
it's it's everybody knows it's difficult it's a tough game and balancing life and golf you know kind of comes into effect as you you know you've been out there long enough you've seen a lot of things you've had you have that scar damage um you know it is definitely different um now uh than when you come out and you're just like i'm unstoppable we mentioned Nancy Lopez being your first captain, Paula, but you've also played under, you know, Julie Inkster and Meg Mallon and Beth Daniel and all mm -hmm. of these legends of the game. You're probably going to find yourself in that job yourself at some point down the road. Which of those captains do you think you took most from in terms of how you would approach the job yourself? Well, I hope one day I'm captain. I would love to be. Um, obviously, everybody knows that that week is just so special to me. But, man, I know it's a tough job also. I mean, Nancy Lopez as my first captain, my goodness, you know, <laughs> that was just such an unreal experience. Uh, you know, the year before I won her amateur award, you know, and now I'm playing underneath her, um, you know, in the Solheim Cup and the biggest event for women's golf. Um, you know, Julie has obviously been my role model, uh, my inspiration in playing golf. Uh, so that's a tough one. But every captain that I've had, I have learned something from, whether it was Meg or Beth. Um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, Betsy, that you just, you learn so much from, from them and how they can handle 12 women. Um, so I'm glad that I've kind of taken little bits and pieces and hopefully I get to use that knowledge one day, but, um, you know, that's not, that's not up to me. Hopefully, like I said, I can get picked one day to, to captain the USA team. Well, I imagine that number will be called, Paula. If my kids didn't have a tennis tournament this week, and I'd hop on the Amtrak and hang with you and Jessica <laughs> in D.C. this week and have a great time at the party, and thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back on golf today, last October, Ryan Fox won the Alfred Dunhill Links at the old course for his third career DP World Tour victory. Memorable moment on the Swilkin Bridge. This guy's a knack. Wind just seems to get a little bit bigger, a little bit better, throwing his weight around. And look at that shot right there. That's the one that uh, great players and 30 handicaps alike want to take. And Fox has a knack for winning on iconic venues because this was. Sunday at Wentworth, Amon, six birdies on the back, including on the 72nd hole, 500 par round of 67. He certainly made a statement winning the flagship event on the European Tour, Damon. Yeah, absolutely stacked field. Tiro Hatton was watching from scoring when this birdie putt went down. And that just adds to the resume, the growing resume of Ryan Fox's fourth career DP World victory. First player from New Zealand to win the BMW PGA Championship. The first player from New Zealand to win a Rolex Series event. And he's climbed all the way to third in the race to Dubai and 31st in the official World Golf Rankings. And he was a little bit excited about one additional perk that came as a result of that victory. Ryan Fox joins us now. Ryan, congratulations 
on, on that moment. Uh, there was another moment on video with your family right after that. I thought it was quite telling as well, where you just sort of leaned over to your family and pointed to the quality of the leaderboard that you had just beaten that day at Wentworth. What did it mean, not only just winning the flagship event on the European tour, but to do so against the calibre of competition on, in the heat of a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, thanks, Eamon. I mean, I completely forgot I was mic'd up there. It was quite quite weird standing there, but it was... Um, ...all the right was playing. Um, that was the first time I kind of looked at who was actually on the leaderboard, and um, I'm not sure I would have believed it if you'd have said it to me at the start of the week, you know, that I'd get a chance to be the charging John Rahm until Hatton down the stretch at Wentworth, but... Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. I still don't quite know what's going on. Um, I'm still a little bit jaded from Sunday night celebrations. Still, my brain is completely fried. But, yeah, it was just an amazing weekend to have the family there to celebrate celebrate it with. Just made it even better. Boxy, outside of Tiger and Jack, it seems like golfers win so infrequently. How do you protect your confidence when you're finishing 15th or 30th or missing a cut from time to time? Uh I think you've just got to find your own little wins in, in something. For me, in the last couple of years, it's just been trying to beat the golf course. Um, and if I can do that for a week, even if I win or not win, I still get some satisfaction out of that. So, um, yeah, you do get beaten down a fair bit in this game, so you've, you've really got to savour the ones that, that you do get. Brian, you're now third in the Race to Dubai rankings, a season-long race on the European Tour. The top 10 on that list will get PGA Tour cards next year. We've seen in the video there, you have a young family. Is that a complicated decision for you if you do have that option of a PGA Tour card for next year? Um, it's probably got a whole lot less complicated after the win, obviously. Um, you know, get some some status off that. Um, so, you know, having the DP World Tour card in the back pocket for the next few years, it gives me a, a really good option to actually you know, move the family over to the U.S. and, and give it a good crack. And, um, you know, that's that's probably the plan going forward. Um, you know, obviously those cards are sliding as well, so I should have hopefully have locked that up by now. And that was the goal at the start of the year, and it's, you know, pretty cool to basically have achieved it by mid-September. And, um, you yeah, know, looking forward to a bit of a new challenge next year, that's for sure. Foxy, speaking of family, you come from tremendous athletic stock. I want to show you an old commercial, and I'll ask you about it on the other side. Against Scotland and Dunedin in 1990, this was a sweet moment for the super goal kicker, Grant Fox. Well, I'd like to score a few more than I do. <laughs> but I mean, that's. I mean, I'm. I'm just as happy if, if um, I've been involved in calling a move, and from the move we score a try. Um, I get as much satisfaction out of that as dotting down myself. Fox is not widely known as a runner. He's a tactician, a great kicker of the rugby ball. I've always kicked goals. I mean, as long as, long as I can remember. Um, I mean, I've been the goal kicker in the teams I've played in, and uh, you know, my father was a goal kicker, um, and I just. I mean, I, I love kicking a football. That kicking from Fox will be vital at the World Cup. I want to be there at the finish. And, uh, you know, I want to be part of the side that wins it. That's driving me, nothing else. The boys in black. I mean, your old man, Grant, I mean, as tough as they come, the all blacks, rugby, 
I've been on a flight with you from San Antonio to Augusta. You're a big dude. How did you not end up, you know, on a rugby pitch as opposed to a golf course? Yeah, that was pretty cool to see that. I haven't seen Dad look that young in a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I played a lot of rugby and cricket growing up. My mum's dad actually played cricket for New Zealand as well. So there's some sporting genes in my family for sure. And, you know, to be honest, I always had a golf club growing up. Um, you know, looking back on it, I enjoyed golf more than any of the other sports, and it just took me a while to find it. And um, while I enjoyed rugby and cricket, you know, I I think I uh, I made the right decision in the end to play golf. My granddad always played golf. Dad always played golf. So they were the ones that introduced me to the game. And, you know, to get to share that moment you got on screen with the family last year at, at St. Andrews was was pretty special. And I spoke to mum and dad not long after Wentworth on on Sunday, and they were that stayed up. It was the middle of the night for them. They were absolutely buzzing, and I think Dad's almost as excited at that as he was winning the World Cup rugby in 1987. Got to be tough, Ryan, to have accomplished what you have: win on the old course, win the BMW PGA Championship, and there's still somebody in the family who can tell you you're not the most accomplished athlete <laughs> within the family unit. But your father's reputation was a guy who didn't play his sport in a flashy manner, but he delivered at a rate that very few others did. Is that how you've gone about your career, that you don't really worry about the, the flash or the, the swagger and just do your business? Yeah, I think that probably came down from Dad. I think it's a bit of a New Zealand trait as well. We know we're, there's, we're known as pretty humble people, a pretty humble culture, so you just go on and, and get stuff done and not make too much of a fuss about it. And, you know, I was very lucky to have a great mentor and dad growing up, you know, a sports psych from a young age. I mean, the competition in our house was, was crazy. Um, and dad caddied for me a lot um, in amateur golf, you know, all around the world. And he also caddied for me a bit when I first turned professional. And um, I can thank him a lot for, for where I've got to today, all the support they gave me. And it's, you know, it's cool to be able to, to share some of this with him now. And, um, yeah, I know that, as I said, they were absolutely chuffed on, on Sunday and were absolutely chuffed at Dunhill last year in St. Andrews. So, yeah, it's, it's been a very cool ride and nice to sort of re be able to repay some of that support they've given me. Well, your toughness and pedigree really shined through at Wentworth and at the old course last year. Thanks for the time and congratulations again. Damon, Damon, thank you very much for having me. appreciate it. And, hey, rugby fans, you can catch live coverage of the Rugby World Cup currently streaming on Peacock now through October 28th. Some of the toughest people you will ever see will be on Peacock. And when Golf Today returns, he won his first major this summer in L.A. and now will make his Ryder Cup debut for Team USA next week in Rome. Been a huge year for Wyndham Clark, and he joins us next. Solheim Cup team week and some of the best women in the world are about to go head to head in Spain. We're headed back across the Atlantic to get the latest on the battle of preparations including how rookie Rose Zhang is feeling. And speaking of rookies, Wyndham Clark is going to be a highly decorated one at next week's Ryder Cup. We're going to ask the US Open champion how he's preparing for Rome. Golf Today continues right now. Golf today. Oh, just two days' time, be loud and proud in Spain as Team Europe tries to win three in a row 
in the Solheim Cup while Team USA wants to take the cup back. It'll be juicy starting Friday, 2 a.m. Eastern time on Golf Channel. Welcome back into Golf Today, Eamon Lynch alongside Damon Hack. Damon, we just heard from Paula Creamer, who wants to be a captain, Solheim Cup. We heard from Padraig Carrington, who was a captain at the Ryder Cup. It's amazing how much the desire to do the job runs into how little you can actually impact things the week of. Yeah, impact's the right word because it also impacts their soul. To hear Paula Creamer say she was getting goosebumps when you were asking her about 2005 and waiting for that opening tee shot with Beth Daniel at Crooked Stick and Padraig Harrington kind of talking about some of the things he might have done a little bit differently and how COVID kind of changed the scope and shape of what that team would look like this time of year, Solheim Cup, Ryder Cup, President's Cup next year, it's just, it's one of my favorite parts of the calendar, without question, full stop. And to think we get nervous hitting a tee shot in front of people in recreational golf. That is true. Well, the Ryder Cup is getting closer in the United States and Europe will compete at Marco Simone Golf and Country Club in Rome beginning a week from Friday. Live from the Ryder Cup begins Monday, September 25th, right here on Golf Channel. And here is the United States team that Zach Johnson will lead into battle. The six automatic qualifiers include three of this year's major champions. Well, the entire team has three of the major champions, two qualified automatically. Wyndham Clark, the US Open champion, Brian Harmon, the Open champion, and of course, Brooks Kepka there as a captain's pick, the PGA champion. Yeah, Wyndham will be making his debut this year on the Ryder Cup team. Flashback of this June at the Los Angeles Country Club, Wyndham Battle. In that final round, even par 70, edge likes of Rory and Scotty Scheffler was in the mix. He had Cameron Smith as well. Wyndham able to hoist that trophy for his first major title. And Wyndham loved sports after originally beginning his college career at Oklahoma State, transferred to Oregon to play for Casey Martin. There he is with the trophy, the football game as a duck. He was a Ben Hogan Award finalist in 2017, as well as being named Pac-12 player of the year. How great to have Wyndham here before he heads off to Rome next week. I'm curious what the veterans on the team, Wyndham, have told you about what that opening tee shot is going to be like for you. Have you already imagined how it'll play out in your mind? Well, they've all told me how nervous I'm going to be and how nervous they were. So they didn't give me any advice. They just more made me more, more nervous and, and, uh, you know, kind of scared the tee shot. So um, I'm hoping as we get to uh, the actual week, maybe they give me some advice that helps not just make me scared. <laughs> I guess that's the team hazing that you're going through right now, Wyndham. It's one thing yeah, exactly. to be a rookie. Is there a different weight of expectation on you as a major champion rookie heading there with that U.S. Open victory? Do you feel that you have a greater weight to deliver? Um, you know, not necessarily. I, you know, I'm just excited to be there. I'm, uh, you know, the, the Ryder Cup wasn't even on my radar at the start of the year. And then I had an incredible year. And then that's when it was like, oh, wow, I'm going to be on the team. And, and so when I got, you know, got that automatic spot, that's when I started prepping my mind that, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to be a big part of this Ryder Cup team. And so, you know, I don't think there's any uh, expectations that um, that I feel, at least, um, you know, maybe on myself that I want to be the best teammate and player I can for Team USA. So, uh, but no, no added pressure. Wyndon, when I spoke to you during the trophy ceremony at the U.S. Open, I only had two questions. My third question, because of timing purposes, I couldn't ask it, would have been, was it sweeter that you had Rory 
and Scotty and Cam Smith finishing, you know, play show in fourth and nipping at your heels during that afternoon? Yeah, I just think it um, it really kind of makes the you know fairy tale finish for me so much better that it was against the top players in the world and other major champions and. Um, I just think it was a testament to show how hard I've worked this year and how I believe I'm one of the best players. And I'm not, um, you know, I'm not going to shy away from the moment and I'm not scared of, of the pressure that, you know, those guys are putting on me and, and the pressure that everyone else thought I was going to feel. So it was, it was a dream come true, truly, to, to win that. And I'm hoping it's one of many. You've played pretty solid golf since then as well, Wyndham. But by the time you get to Rome, you won't have competed since the Tour Championship. That's almost a month. Any concerns about knocking off the rust when you get there? No, not necessarily. I, I, I did want to play Napa, uh, but I just wasn't. I was pretty physically tired. I, I was a little thick, little sinus thing. And so I, I just said, let's just take some time off. Um, I've been practicing um, quite a bit. And this week is going to be a lot of prep. And, you know, Max Homa lives here and we're planning to play this kind of this whole weekend leading up into our travel. And we're going to play alternate shot um, against his caddy and some other guys at Whisperock. And so we're going to get a lot of prep and training. And, you know, I like to think that we're going to be really fresh. And, you know, the, the guys on the European team, I mean, they played all of the uh, playoffs, then went and played one or two more events. I think, if anything, they might be a little gap. So I'm hoping... I'm hoping it works in our favor and we're really fresh and excited to be there and, and you know, hope when it comes to singles, um, we're the fresher team and, and we can pull, pull it out. Wyndham, how would you describe yourself as a match play competitor, foursomes, four ball, your, your history in the match play format? Well, you know, I haven't had a ton of uh, experience um, as maybe in, you know, the Ryder Cups or Presidents Cups. Um, I was going to be on the Walker Cup team, but I decided to turn pro early. I played on the Palmer Cup team my freshman year. Kind of did okay. I think I was about 500. Um, but the one thing that I am and I hold um, close to my heart and, and feel confident about is the two the two teams I was on with Oklahoma State and Oregon. Um, we went to the national championship, both teams, and I won all my matches but one. So I was five and one. Um, in match play in college and then played at East Lake and was two and oh. So in, in college, I was seven and one in my, in my matches. So I, I feel pretty confident in match play. I love match play. Something about that where you feel like you go and beat that guy for that day versus, you know, playing against yourself in the golf course and stroke play. You really feel like you beat that guy. And I, and I love that aspect of it. You were part of the American team scouting trip to Marco Simone a couple of weeks ago, Wyndham. What was that experience like? And since I'm European, I'm kind of curious, who did you play with? Who should we expect <laughs> to see you with next week? Um, well, first off, I mean, we flew a long ways to play for two rounds. And I think some of us were a little skeptical and like, why the heck are we doing this? But what I would say is after that trip, I feel like um, we got way closer as a team. We also learned about that golf course. And so since then, I've been able to prep. I know exactly what I need to do on the golf course. I know the shots I need to work on. And so that's, you know, pretty unique um, because a lot of times you don't get that, you know, you don't get those practice rounds before a big tournament like this and get all that prep. And so, so as far as the trip goes, it was awesome. And I think we got closer as a team. 
Um, you know, as far as players, I think there's still a little unknown on our end exactly who we're playing with. But I will say in those practice rounds, I played a lot with Brooks. I played with Ricky. I played with Max Homa. Um, and then I played with Justin Thomas. So I would imagine any of those names I probably will end up playing with. <laughs> Wyndham, I began this program by causing a little trouble, saying I would ask you, would you want another shot, another piece of Rory McIlroy after you got the better of him in L.A.? How would you greet a, a battle in singles with the four-time major champion? And that's exactly who I want. I'd love to play Rory. I mean, I have the utmost respect for Rory. I mean, he's one of our great ambassadors of our game. He's obviously one of the best of all time um, and his career is still going so he can continue that. So I, I have tons of respect for Rory. Um, and because of that respect, I also want to beat him. I, I like to think that I, um, you know, am better than him. Um, and I want to, and I want to prove that. So I'd love to play Rory. I think it would be really fun for the fans as well. We're both, you know, long ball hitters, um, have a lot of similar games in that aspect. And um, I think it would be a little bit of David and Goliath. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping I get that chance. But, you know, regardless of who I play, I'm just excited for any of those matches. But that one would be would be a lot of fun. I don't think you get to call yourself a David when you've got a major trophy <laughs> sitting on your mantelpiece anymore, Wyndham. You're now one of the Goliaths. But back at the Palmer Cup in 14, <clears throat> you played John Ram in singles, and Ram clipped you that day. Would you like to get a go at him again next week in, Spain, in Italy too? Like I said, any of those guys. You know, one guy that I would love to have a piece of, um, because the one loss I had in college in match play was against Victor Hovland, who was... Um, uh, um, I, you know, I recruited Victor to go to Oklahoma State. And and then when I was at Oregon, you know, we played him in the first match and Victor clipped me on the 18th hole. So if there's any sort of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, competition or someone that I would like a, another chance at, it really would be Victor. Um, you know, and then, like you said, John Rom too. I, I live in Arizona and so does John. And we play some together and, you know, there's always trash talk, and and even when we're having a friendly match here in Arizona, it's kind of a, you know, we we want to make sure we don't lose to each other. Even if we lose to our other guys in, in the group, we want to make sure we don't lose to each other. So, any of those guys would be a lot of fun to play against. Wyndham sounds like you're ready to take on anybody one through twelve wearing that European yeah. blue. <laughs> hey, thanks for the time, and congrats on a great season. Best of luck next week. Thank you, guys. All Appreciate right, it. one of Wyndham Clark's teammates, Jordan Spieth. And his wife, Annie, welcomed their second child, a daughter named Sophie. Jordan sharing this black and white photo on social media. Precious Sophie, born September 12th. Congratulations to the family. Sammy is now a big brother. Maybe in 20-some years, we'll see Sophie play Solheim Cup. But right now, Suzanne Pedersen has said her team is the strongest European squad ever assembled. But is it? We're going to back to Spain. Probe that claim. Coming up next. Tinto de verano, the red wine of summer. Equal parts wine and lemon soda. Stirred and topped with a slice of orange. A perfect afternoon aperitif before indulging in tapas. Salud.
Spain, a wonderful wine region. You might have enjoyed Tempranillo through the years, found in Rioja, inky, full-bodied wine. These wines need time, typically 10 to 15 years to age to their peak. I tell you what, this Soheim Cup is gonna age beautifully all the way to Sunday singles. First day coverage begins 2 a.m. Eastern right here on Golf Channel. And I'll tell you what, Eamon, the European team, Suzanne Pedersen has called it the best European team ever, promising to be a tough out as they go for three straight victories. It really is, and if you drill down a little bit, her claim that it's the strongest European team ever doesn't sound so outlandish. 10 of 12 European players are ranked 55th or better in the Rolex rankings with two of them, Celine Boutier and Charlie Hull, in the top 10. Eight members of the 21 team, the one, of course, are returning in 23. And their nine veterans have played in a total of 118 matches versus 63 of the seven United States veterans. So there's certainly an experience disparity. And for a little more on the strength of the European squad, we go back out to Spain and Amy Rogers. Thanks, Eamon. Well, with the European team chasing their third consecutive Solheim Cup victory. It's easy to see why they would be the favorites coming into this year's matches. And captain for the European side, Suzanne Pedersen, thinks pretty highly of her team as well, and for good reason. Her team members have eight worldwide wins just in the last year, and they played on a collective 31 Solheim Cups. And as you just mentioned, Suzanne Pedersen said coming into these matches that she believes that this is the strongest team that the European side has ever assembled for the Solheim Cup. Well, earlier today, I had a chance to speak with a few veterans that have played on a number of teams throughout the years that are returning again this year to get their take on how they feel this year's team stacks up to years past. Obviously, on paper, on the rankings, we have, I think, the strongest team ever. Um, I mean, the top players, we have, I think, eight, nine players in the top 50 in the world, so that's amazing. I mean, obviously, with Charlie, five times second this week in two majors, she finished second. I mean, Celine, she won Avian and Scotland. I mean, I think the youngsters are really good, and, and we have, a, yeah, a great team. And, I mean, I've played six Solheim Cups, and I think this is the, the strongest one we have. I feel like it's just a super strong team. Everyone, I mean, we've had so many Europeans doing so great this season. I mean, Maya Lynn, Celine, and, and Charlie, and it just seems like a lot of, of uh, the European players are in, are in form, and um, I think it's going to be a great match. Yeah, I think this is a very, very strong team. Um, you know, uh, it's got a lot of depth to the team as well, so where before we had a lot of strong players, but then sometimes the back end of the team wasn't as strong, but I feel like we're pretty, pretty strong all the way through. And yeah, no, I think we've got a good chance this year. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think this is the strongest team we've ever had on paper, for sure. Um, like Charlie said, there's not one weak player in our team. I think you can put out any of us at any time and, and I think we'll perform well. Um, so I think that makes it a little bit easier when uh, picking uh, players to go out and pairings for Suzanne. So um, I think, yeah, we're very confident going into this. I think we're all uh, very ready to go. Um, I don't think it's anything to hide under a chair that if you look on paper, uh, we have the strongest team that I've ever been a part of. Um, and uh, that's literally based on great performances over the last two years from all the players. So with good results there's also expectations but uh, these these girls are so up for it so um, we can't wait
Pedersen went on to say that she has a few mystery guests lined up to come and speak to her team, hoping to further inspire them on to that third consecutive victory. And Pedersen said the message that she's been trying to get along to her players this week is that it's about the team, not about the individuals. And she hopes that they'll be able to come together over the course of the next few days and be able to stand together shoulder to shoulder this weekend. Karen Page. Amy, it's going to be fascinating to see how they perform. So you have just explained it so eloquently. It is a European team that's in form. But Paige, the question is, how does that stack up against the Americans? I, I think that's a more relevant question, given the fact that it's played on grass, not necessarily on paper. But uh, when you look at what these teams have done over the course of the season, not only is Europe strong compared to what Europeans typically have, because they've typically come in at very much the underdog, they're strong compared to what the United States is bringing to the table this week. Uh, when you look at their record throughout the season. We talked about how the Europeans have won eight different worldwide events this year. The United States also have won eight times with six different players. Uh, so the United States coming into it is with also good form, but it always goes back to the fact that Europe is bringing the strongest team to the table. They have yet to ever go three in a row. Uh, you go back to 2015 where they did lose that the, in, in the singles, you could very much make the case that they should not have lost that. Uh, this is their opportunity to do three in a row. You know, we heard Amy mention it, that the, the, the experience on paper, it's not played on grass, as you just reminded us, but, you know, the, the European roster of 12 have played in a combined 31 Solheim Cups previously compared to the Americans, very young and experienced squad, have played in a combined 15 Solheim Cups. Add that with the rookies. The Americans have two more rookies, five to the Europeans, three. And there's also little winning experience on that American American side compared to what you'll find in the European side. How much of a factor do you think that might be when it comes to both teams, indeed the Americans, trying to find pairings? A, a massive, massive factor. If you look at the European side, there are so many intuitive pairings, pairings that we've seen before that we expect to see this weekend. The United States, it's not the case. In fact, you, you mentioned the experience. We saw seven uh, Americans that have played in Solheim Cups before. Only three of them have ever won a Solheim Cup. I think that's going to be extremely important. So the United States is going to have to lean on other experience. Stacey Lewis earlier in the show talked about how she was looking at amateur records. She was looking at Curtis Cups. She was looking at Junior Solheim Cups to find pairings. And there are pairings there. These, this group of players have played together on different teams multiple times. You go back to 2015 Junior Solheim Cup team, you're going to see four of these players. Andrea Lee, Angel Yin, Nellie Korda, and Megan Kang were all on that Junior Solheim Cup team. Uh, when you look at potential pairings that you may see, you may see a Jennifer Cupcho and a Lilia Vu. That would be a repeat of the 2018 Curtis Cup. And then when you're talking about a, a pair of rookies, who could possibly pair together that have never played a Solheim Cup? You might lean on Ro Zhang with Allison Corpus because they also paired together in 21 uh, Curtis Cup. So United States is not going to have a lot of Europe or a lot of Solheim Cup experience to lean on as it relates to partnerships, but they may lean on some of the. Uh, partnerships they've seen in years past. Rose Zhang, of course, the youngest in the squad, just 20 years of age. We know she's proven herself on the LPGA Tour already, and Alison Corpus winning that U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach. That was just two years ago they played in the Curtis Cup together. Rose also played in the Curtis Cup last year. Now, when it comes to strategy, Amy also alluded to this a bit earlier in the program. We've seen something a bit different from the Americans than we have in years past. Stacey's strategy has been to move away from the pod system that Julie Inkster kind of made famous for the, for the U.S. Solheim Cup team. In fact, that, you know, you look at their practice, 
practice pairings and they've been going out in two, three and four balls. It's kind of a, however you like it, um, figure it out. It seems like she knows what she's going to do on Friday morning. Whereas Suzanne Pettersen has gone for the more traditional. We've had three groups of four each and every day. When you look at the different approaches these captains are taking, how different are they? What's funny is I think a lot of people would think they're similar in that they have intensity, they have competitiveness that they bring to the golf course. That's what they were known for as competitors, but two very different strategies. Stacey Lewis has gone very deep into the analytics, trying to figure out what pairings are going to work best. I know she was on the phone with some people during an international crown, also trying to figure out what's going to work best, what does the data tell her. Suzanne Pedersen, I think, is a little bit more of a gut feeling when you look at how she's selected her captain's picks. You could go to Emily Christine Pedersen and Caroline Headball, who came a little bit out of the blue but she's got her reasons for why she thinks those players are going to step up in the big moments. So two different styles when it comes to captaincy in those two different people. And don't forget how Suzanne herself lived up yeah. to being on that team four years ago. We know she's a feisty player. Nine Solheim Cup appearances for the European captain. We can't wait for this to get underway. Still a couple more days to go, of course, but we'll continue to preview it for you here at Fink and Courtesan as we send you back to Damon in studio. All right, Car and Paige from Golf Today returns. We're taking a closer look at all the new faces on this year's U.S. Solheim Cup team, including Rose Zhang, who makes her debut this week in Spain. A live report on this year's rookies from A.B. Rogers is on the way. We're back on Golf Today. Very special week on PJ Tour Champions. They head to Pebble Beach. The Pure Insurance Championship and juniors from first tee chapters from all over the country will tee it up with a PGA Tour Champions player to compete in their own tournament separate from the tour competition. Let's take a look at one of the players who will be competing at Pebble. How about Skylar Woods? First tee, four corners. We tee it up alongside our colleague and four-time PGA Tour winner Nota Begay III. Now, Skylar has been involved with the first tee for 11 years, Native American and member of Navajo Nation. He has a plus 1.5 handicap. Take a closer look at his resume. 18-year-old senior at Kirtland Central High School in New Mexico. Been involved with the first tee for 11 years. Member of the National Honor Society. And there it is, that plus 1.5 handicap. And Skyler and Noda Begay III join us now from the Monterey Peninsula. Yes, Woods and Begay back together again in California. Noda, why is a week <laughs> like this so special for you? Well, it's a culmination of a lot of hard work on the part of these various organizations. You know, Pure Insurance comes in, puts the format together. The first tee um, is instrumental in allowing these kids access and opportunity to the game of golf, which has given me so much. And, you know, I'm standing next to a young man who's been part of the first tee in the Four Corners, which is very close to the Navajo Reservation, which uh, is, a, is a tough place to access golf. There's no golf courses on the reservation. Um, so if it wasn't for the first tee, Skylar wouldn't have had any access. And then he's been a part of our MB3 Foundation Junior Golf Program. So this is exactly what it's all about, investing back in these young people so that they can, you know, carry these leadership qualities with them as they develop and grow. Skylar, Noda mentioned that you've come through his MB3 Foundation for Junior Golfers, which has done great work for a long time. What does it mean for you to go play an iconic golf course next to a guy like Noda? It means a lot. I mean, yeah, we we, we work together. We've been um, having practice schedules where we work hard, where we do a lot of um, 
just practicing. Just keep practicing, keep practicing, eat healthy, and just work hard. And then you get to play at a place like this. Like, this is awesome to be here, especially to play with Netsa here. <laughs> yeah, Woods Begay is back together again in Northern California, guys. So, so be ready. Dangerous combination. Well, well Skyler, you're obviously a great athlete, plus 1.5 handicap from what I've read. You could probably play other sports if you like, but what is it about golf that has kept you back? It's just, it's, it's different every day. Like, you could hit different shots. Like, even though you play the same course, it's, ne it's never going to be the same. Like, <laughs> it's just amazing because you can hit a great shot or you can hit a bad shot, and it just keeps you coming back. You know, the good shots keep us coming back, Skyler. <laughs> the bad ones we want to forget. Yeah. <laughs> Being at an iconic place like this, this is one of the cathedrals of golf. You know, we travel all around the world uh, with our broadcast team, uh, St. Andrews and, and places like that, Augusta, and, you know, to come here in Pebble to have um, a citizen of the Navajo Nation, which, which I'm from the same tribe standing next to me. We're paired together playing in a premier event on the PJ Tour. Um, you, you couldn't have ever written a written this up um, in in my in my story um, as extraordinary as some of the things that I've been able to do this 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 sort of is on that same level Nota you're now well into your first full year out there on, on the PGA Tour Champions what's your assessment of it are you having as much fun as you thought you were I know it's going to be a fun week this week but week to week is it as much fun as you had anticipated it's it's much more fun than I had anticipated, um, but I'm still getting beat up every week. Um, play the caliber of play out here is so high um, with with Stricker and Stephen Ames setting a really torrid pace as far as what they've been able to do with their scoring and on the golf courses. And um, I'm working my butt off every week to try and improve. And I, you know, have a couple thresholds that I've 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 gotten over, but. Um, it is a lot of fun, but it's still the the level of play is so high out here, and I've been very impressed with you know everybody that um, has been able to put together some great scoring. Well, we know historically it's kind of difficult to beat a guy named Woods at Pebble Beach. What are your chances this week? <laughs> uh, I feel like I can. <laughs> my game is pretty good right now. Um, I could probably take take him down. <laughs> yeah, uh, Skylar's put together a pretty impressive. Um, junior golf schedule this year playing quite a few national tournaments I think he's on the radar of a handful of division one programs so uh, I'm really proud of the work that he's put in you know he does everything we ask you know our program asks these kids to do well in class uh, to provide community service on a monthly basis and um, to work hard and show up ready to improve and you know he's filled all of those uh, that that very difficult criteria to a tee and he's starting to see the results and that's what we in sort of impart not only here but through the first tee as well as you know their platform is is very much about putting the work in and then letting the results take care of themselves well Skylar you've accomplished so much congratulations I know it's gonna be a special week with someone you look up to in Noda Begay the third I finished tied for second last year hope you guys do one better this year best of luck The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.